Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, you know, Craig, in as many years as we've been doing this podcast and coming up close to our 250th episode, most of our listeners know that when it comes time to holiday seasons, we try to find horror movies that fit. We like to do these themed movies around the holidays. And I tell you what, every single time February 14th comes and goes, I look back and go, crap. Why have we not done My Bloody Valentine yet? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. It, it's weird. Like, we're we're kind of big dorks about our holiday themes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty shocking that I'm pretty sure this is our first Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> there aren't that many to choose from as far as I know. True. I mean, we're all, I always say that, and then we're kind of surprised when we go looking. But this one is very much definitely geared towards Valentine's Day. And we're doing the 1981 version, not the My Bloody Valentine 3D remake that was done, what, like a decade ago? Something like that? Yeah. Because, of course, we like to do the originals. And this movie really came on the heels of a lot of holiday themes movies. In fact, that's what the producers had in mind. Actually, a year before this was Friday the 13th, right? Yeah. And then there was, you know, Black Christmas and Prom Night. and Or actually, I think it was released this very same year. These very same producers did uh, Happy Birthday to Me, mm. which uh, we'll have to do also. I remember seeing that one on the shelves and uh, wanting to see it, never did, and thought, I don't know, will we do it for your birthday or my birthday? How are we going to work that out? <laughs> I don't know. It. We'll flip a coin. <laughs> so stupid. But anyway, this movie is apparently Quentin Tarantino's favorite slasher film. I know. Didn't do that well on release. I mean, it wasn't horrible. I think it had a budget of about $2.3 million, and it made $5.6 million. But considering that Friday the 13th, the year before, also released by Paramount, made like three times that much, they considered it a disappointment. And so when they were approached for a sequel, it just didn't happen. Um, and again, it wasn't until 2009, I think? Somewhere around there. I don't yeah. know. I mean, the director didn't even pitch a sequel until like 2000-something, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure they didn't pitch it until way later. It's true, but the movie kind of sets itself up. For, I mean, it, it ends in a way that perhaps the sequel could be made, and I'm sure they had that in mind and clearly didn't go anywhere at the time, nor did it many years later. <laughs> yeah. I saw the remake. Did you? No. H how was it? Uh, I remember it being okay, and that's about all I remember about oh, it. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it's one of those movies that I saw once. I thought it was okay. I was never compelled to see it again. It had a lot of really beautiful people in it, and I remember <laughs> it being kind of twisty. And so I was, I, I, I had not seen this original. The sitting down to watch this for the podcast was the first time I had seen this. And because I had remembered the first one being kind of twisty, I expected this one to be twisty too. And it was. Is kind of, kind of but yeah. there's just kind of like you know one kind of twist at the end that hmm, I mean if you're not terribly dense you can kind of figure out I guess I don't know <laughs> I, I guess I'm terribly dense because I didn't know by the end who the killer was I had suspicions and then when it was revealed I was like oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that that works. <laughs> I had it kind of pinned on two guys, and then as the movie went on, I thought, okay, maybe it's not him, or maybe it is him. And I was bouncing back and forth, and one of the other, you know, the killer ended up being one of those two guys. So I can't take a lot of credit for that 50-50 um, proposition there. I, you know, I think you do a little more research for these before going into the movie than I tend to do. I don't know how much research you did for this movie before you went in. But um, I always, then afterwards, we both go in and we read up a lot more about it. And one of my go-tos is Roger Ebert. Yeah. I like to see if he reviewed the movie at that time. And he and Gene Siskel on their television program indeed reviewed this movie. And it's a riot because they just hate everything about it. (laughs) And, And what they really hate is at this time, 1981, this was just another formulaic slasher movie to them. Yeah. Was it only two years ago that we were praising a movie called Halloween? We thought it was kind of nice, had some style and whip to it. This movie is about the seventh direct ripoff of Halloween. We have New Year's Evil, Prom Night, Friday the 13th, Terror Train. They all have the same formula. Something terrible happens 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Then there's a party and all the teenagers get together in the same place, the old train or the old deserted mine shaft or something, and the berserk maniac comes down on them with a knife or a pickaxe or something. It's First of all, it's disgusting. Secondly, it's so appallingly lacking in imagination. You would think that they could at least come up with a new disgusting angle. Yeah, I'm uh, sitting there wondering why these people get involved in these films. I mean, what do the uh-huh. women think who are getting pickaxes thrown at them? What do they think they're contributing to art? And I also, as you rattle off that list of names, I'm thinking of all those hours we've both logged in movie theaters, slumped uh-huh. over in our seats, just shaking our heads. Boy, I wish this trend would really end. Not teenagers in this movie, actually. They're adults in this movie, which is... I couldn't for the life of me figure out how oh, old these people were supposed they, to be. They're adults? Because I kept... In my, in my notes, I kept referring to them as the kids because, like, that's their stereotypical. Yeah. Like, they're the kids of the slasher movie. But some of them look like they're in their 40s. So, oh, yeah. like, I had no <laughs> idea. True. Well, they're like adults that act like 13-year-olds. The way that <laughs> some of the drama between, you know, there's a little love triangle angle in here and stuff like that. And I was kind of rolling my eyes at some of this stuff. How silly and overly dramatic these people were towards each other. (laughs) And it's really stupid on the one hand, but on another hand, I feel like it's... And not to get too deep about it, but, like, it almost seemed a little bit cultural because it's like these people live in this tiny mining town Mm. where it seems like the mine is where you're going to work if you're a dude. Yeah, and I liked that about this. Yeah, I, I I did too, but like I kind of understood the dynamic. Like it seemed to me like most of these men and I guess the the women that follow them around, it almost seems like they're kind of suspended mm. in time in their lives. You know, yeah. like they graduate high school, then they work in the mine. That's just it. So maybe there's not a whole lot of opportunity for <laughs> maturing growth and maturation. <laughs> right. That's, like they're just kind of suspended there. You know, that's a very good point. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things, you know, both you and I have spent a considerable amount of our lives uh, and childhoods in small Midwestern town that is in many ways culturally not unlike this place. And I thought that the representation of it, at times it was a little bit of a groaner like there's one point in which these guys all get together in a junkyard and they're hanging out in the junkyard and they're like grilling meat on somebody's radiator of their car right and playing harmonica, <laughs> playing harmonica. And stuff. Like, 
<laughs> like that's uh, I don't know who's <laughs> who wrote that in, but that's a little silly. I don't know. It's it's quaint, like <laughs> yeah, definitely quaint. And, and and you're right. Like no, in my <laughs> midwestern hometown, I don't believe that people stand around a car engine to heat up their sandwiches, but. There definitely is, you know, kind of a small town culture where people congregate, you know, in fields or on old farms or whatever. Like, that's what kids do or did when I was their age. I don't know if they still do. Maybe they're just on their phones now. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that I mean, just kind of getting together and hanging out and drinking. Like, yeah, yeah, that was (laughs) that was very typical of my high school experience. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, and this was filmed in Nova Scotia, a a town apparently that is full of mines, like abandoned mines. I love this story that they filmed it in this actual small mining town. And the small mining town was so excited by, (laughs) by the prospect of... A, a movie filming in their town. They thought it was going to draw in tourism, like it was going to stimulate their economy. And they were so excited about it that they spent like $50,000 to totally clean up their mind to make it look as good as it could. And the whole reason that the production team had chosen this place was because of the look of the mine. They <laughs> wanted it to look you know, kind of run down. And so the town spent all this money to clean it up. And then the production company came in and spent even more money, like (laughs) $75,000 to put it back the way it was before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Painting it black, bringing it dirt and stuff. It's crazy, right? (laughs) Oh, I love it. Such a great story. (laughs) It is a great story. (laughs) But yeah, it, it works. I mean, for me, the setting worked. And maybe because I'm familiar with these people, I thought there were some, there were some silly moments like I mentioned about the junkyard scene where it's a little over the top. But honestly, like you said, the relationship between these people kind of suspended from before the bar that they go to, you know, the kind of dive bar where it seems like everybody gathers, the characters in here, and the kinds of things that a small town like this gets excited about. You know, every small town has their festival or two uh, that's just cute and quaint. And this one, this town is Valentine's Bluff. Uh It makes a big deal out of Valentine's Day. I I loved this. I thought all of this stuff was actually kind of nice and set it apart a little bit from those other horror movies where... You don't see much of the relationship between the characters. It's just like, oh, these these are a whole bunch of couples and young people that got together and they're at a summer camp and then they, you know, get killed. The setting drew me in and the mine setting really drew me in. Like the descent, you know, I'm I'm watching this movie and half of it I'm thinking just being down there in that mine is scary. Right. As deep as as they are, especially toward the end of the movie where they're running away and they got to go through all this crazy stuff. Sometimes just the the fact that they have to crawl through these difficult passages that could collapse on them, these dangerous sections of the mine that have been closed off. At one point, they have to climb a ladder that's just in a shaft that's, I don't know, Mm -hmm. what, miles deep or something? And Mm -hmm. I I could not handle that. All of that kind of worked. I mean, it doesn't work, don't get me wrong, to the same level of the descent. But um, it was present and there and always kind of in the back of my mind, that little bit of claustrophobia. And that worked for me, too. I, I appreciated that. Yeah, and, and I appreciate the fact that they they filmed this 
in mines. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the, these were real mines that they filmed it in, and they even had to be careful with the type of lighting equipment that they used because there really was a legitimate threat of, like, methane explosions. Crazy. <laughs> and, and that's cool. It, yeah. It, it looks cool. It didn't give me Descent vibes just because the Descent was so claustrophobic. And this is actually very open. Like, the shafts mm. are quite large. And they get into some areas where it's, you know, these huge underground rooms and, and caverns or whatever. So I didn't get that claustrophobic feel. But the realism of it was cool yeah. uh, and I liked that that scene that you're talking about when they're climbing the ladder I don't know that I would have appreciated that this much Todd let's travel down memory lane for oh. a second <laughs> and to, to, to the delight of our listeners who will have no idea what we're talking about. We did this last during Ghost Keeper when we were trying to kill time. <laughs> Tell me about that trip to Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me, Todd and I went to the same university. Mm. And we both participated in performances, musical and theatrical performances. And one of our main performance spaces was an auditorium, which was run by a dear friend of ours, Randy. Yeah. And in that auditorium, on the stage, I'm sure that all, you know, theaters are like this. But at one point, I was in another play in an adjoining theater um, but I had a lot of downtime, and so I was just exploring a lot, and I explored the tunnels underneath the university, but that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> this story is about how one time I gave myself the courage to climb the ladder into the flies oh, God. Up, uh, above the auditorium. You know what I'm talking about, I right? know the ladder you're talking about, and you would never... <laughs> and, like, it had, it had bars, like, all around it, so, like, I guess to maybe potentially catch you if you fell backwards or something but it was so high and i remember getting halfway up it and looking down and be like what am i doing like, <laughs> <laughs> this is a nightmare but considering that that was maybe two three stories maybe um and and thinking about these i, I was so annoyed with this one girl who was freaking out the whole time that they were climbing up this ladder <laughs> Lady, shut up. Just keep climbing. But <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, I get it because I've yeah. done this and it is scary as hell. <laughs> oh, I've done this too. I, You know, I was renovating a building once and we had a, a multi-level uh, scaffolding out in front. Yeah. And by the time I got close to the top and I was just cheerfully climbing and I realized where I was and how little was around me. And how far I had to go to the ground. I was doing exactly what she did. My arm was like gripped, <laughs> gripped around the pole. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, what do I do now? <laughs> heights, I'm not, you know, heights are just not my friend in those type of situations. Same. I'm, I'm not a fan of heights, so. But, you know, the cinematography is quite good. And for the fact that they filmed all this down in this dark mine, a lot of these horror movies that we watch, there's just so much darkness you just can't see what's going on or appreciate it they did a really good job i think of lighting this in and shooting this in a way that you could see what was going on but it still had tons of atmosphere 
I mean, yeah. the movie starts out in the mine, which is great. There are these very cantilevered shots and this angle kind of coming up at them. They're really off kilter of these two people who are going through the mine. And we don't see who they are because they're, you know, in head to toe, like not just mine gear, but they have what's this like a face mask kind of gas mask kind of oxygen mask yeah, i guess thing yeah i guess with, with these glass you know it, it, it's kind of a cross between the old timey uh goggles that right biplane pilots used to wear right but then connected to just a mouth thing like uh cane and freaking batman with a, with a hose with a hose yeah. and and the sounds the darth vader sounds coming from it right. just they're breathing with a helmet and then these full body suits they're like has black hazmat suits essentially gloves on boots and they're just walking and they're, they're carrying axes and they get to this deep part of the mine and they turn around and face each other. And your first twist of the movie is uh, one of them starts disrobing and it turns out she's a woman. A beautiful woman with no top on. <laughs> like, <laughs> like why doesn't outfit. she have a shirt on underneath? <laughs> like, what? We know um, why. I mean, she's not totally topless. She has a bra on, but I, I just have beautiful woman with heart tattoo on breast (laughs) (laughs) lots of heavy breathing my my favorite part about this scene is like she takes off her mask and kind of disrobes to the waist and then she's like kind of being seductive with the other guy and she goes to take off his mask but he won't let her and so Mm -hmm. then she's like stroking his face and then she starts fondling his face face hose in the most <laughs> suggestive way you can possibly I lo- imagine. I love that. And I thought that it was so funny. Like, she was, like, <laughs> calmly it. and slowly jerking off his face hose. <laughs> oh, my God. I and thought it was so funny. getting heavier, right? And the guy... Yes! Has- <laughs> <laughs> And the guy had stabbed an axe into the wall. Like, it's an axe with, you know, an, an, the back end a, of its point. A pickaxe. Yeah, pickaxe. Then they're kind of, she's a kind of, a, I think, kind of about to take his mask off or whatever. And then it's quite sudden that suddenly you realize he's pushed her up against the wall over the point of that pickaxe because all you see is kind of scream and the point of the pickaxe come out of her chest right where that heart, heart tattoo, tattoo is. That was an effective opening scene. It was a good opening. I liked it. It left me with questions. (laughs) Who is this girl? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why does nobody notice that she's missing later? Uh Like, Why did they come this far down just to make out? (laughs) Right. But uh, you're right. I thought it was a great opening. Um, and, And then we get into the main point of the movie. And it's like two days before Valentine's Day. And we meet all these miners, these guys who so are our main characters. And there's a shower scene. Like, so they, <laughs> I, I guess they come out of the mines and this may be true. I don't know. I've never worked in a mine. I've never toured a mine, but like, it, it's kind of a whole facility. Yeah. Like they've got like a rec room and they've got like a shower room. Probably true. It's all above ground. Yeah. 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 I mean, they come out of the mines and, and they're all covered. It never says what kind of mine this is. People suppose that it's a coal mine, which would make sense. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. But they come out and they're all dirty. And so they all shower together. There's lots of byplay. <laughs> it, it, it's so right. It's so silly. Like, it is pretty silly. I 
for my own reasons, avoided the communal showers mm. in high school. But I can't imagine that there were really like this. I mean, these are grown men. Every day. <laughs> again, yeah. again, they're kind of, right. I mean, they do this every day. And again, they may be kind of suspended in like late adolescence, high school age or whatever, as far as their maturity goes. But like, they're goofing around, messing around and like, <laughs> like, touching each other and pushing each other around and snapping towels and stuff. I'm like, do you guys do this every day? Like, (laughs) is this really amusing all the time? (laughs) I read that all of these dudes were really naked. And I thought, what a lost opportunity. Because we only (laughs) see them from the chest up. (laughs) Well, there's no nudity in this movie, which blew me away. Uh -uh. I couldn't believe not only did they have all these naked guys, but they had a bunch of beautiful girls, none of whom I think were wearing bras. <laughs> I noticed that, but not a single boob. No. And again, like we said last week, we don't care, you know, ultimately, but it's right. just kind of shocking for an early 80s horror movie that's trying to check all the boxes, you know, and compete with Friday the 13th. Right. That's something else that's interesting about this movie is that it is rated R. And in fact, they had to edit it heavily to get an R rating. And it's not that graphic. Like you said, there's no nudity. I don't even remember there being a ton of swearing. Now, some of the death scenes are somewhat graphic, but uh, certainly not wait a minute. more so than other movies of the time. True. Apparently, there had been a lot of backlash against the graphic violence in Friday the 13th and Right before the release of this movie, or right before they sent it to the MPAA, John Lennon had been killed, and there had been a lot of scrutiny about violence in film. So they had to cut seemingly everything. Like, I didn't read about this until after I had watched the movie. And when I was watching the movie, I noticed, because it's obvious, that every kill scene, the the quality of the footage changes drastically. Yeah. So any any time there's graphic violence on the screen, it's a significantly different and a significantly lesser quality. I read after that they had made them cut all that, and I thought, well, no wonder the movie tanked. They cut all of the good stuff. Yeah. Like exactly. I, if I had watched this and all of those scenes had been absent. I would yeah. have thought it was a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. In, in fact, I read one of the contemporary reviews, and it, it was basically trashing the movie, saying, oh, it's just like all those other movies that are coming out now, but at least they had the good taste to have most of the violence happen off screen. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you insert the three minutes of footage. I think it's two and a half minutes of footage was restored. The director originally said that, like, nine minutes had to be cut from the movie to gain MPA approval. But then later on, uh, Lionsgate licensed the film from Paramount to release a special edition uh, Blu-ray, I think just to prepare for their My Bloody Valentine 3D coming out in 2009. And when they did that, they actually restored about two and a half minutes, actually. And that's what we saw. So those little restored bits were from prints and not found in the original negative. So that's why they... You know, were changed in, but it's good for us because we can see what was missing. And it turns out that the director admitted later, he said they restored almost everything as far as the the gore and stuff goes. And the extra six minutes or whatever um, was just like additional scenes between the characters, nothing gory, nothing bloody. And he said, this film is now 
I think, what does he say? 85% of what it's supposed to be and 90% of how scary it's it's supposed to be. I don't know. Yeah, there there was one scene that was too far deteriorated for them to to put back in which is unfortunate because we see the aftermath of it and it's very it's gruesome but the thing that bothers me about that now is that people who saw this originally really missed out because not only yeah i'm going into a horror film i want to see the carnage that's one thing but the special effects are really quite well done. Yeah. I mean they're 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 practical effects and it's very very obvious that you know in places they were using dummies and things but I don't care. I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. And just the notion of it being completely absent. I mean without it you could show this on TV in the afternoon. Yeah, like, you could. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're right. A hundred percent right. There's not even, I, I think there was one F-bomb in the movie. You blurp that out and you've got a PG movie. And yeah. to be fair, those, okay, so we're talking about the unedited version that we saw. Compared to, even compared to a lot of the contemporary stuff at this time, these are pretty brutal scenes. The kills are creative, and we'll mm-hmm. be going through them in a moment, I promise, but the kills are creative, and they're pretty brutal and extended, and at least one of them turned my stomach a bit. At least one of them, I was like, okay, that's really disturbing. So it actually had that going for it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a real shame, you know, as a horror movie that it, that it got, you know, neutered in that way. Yeah, and, and I made a big deal out of the guys showering. It's not important. I just thought it was such a silly scene, but it establishes, you know, all these guys, basically, who are, are going to be following around. The only the significant thing that happens in there is that one guy makes a joke about the fact that okay so there's one this main guy named tj who apparently has been gone for reasons that we don't know initially but it's so stupid who cares like he i have tried ideas. To, <laughs> well he tried to escape his small town life and go off to the west coast or something but he failed miserably like i have no idea you know what he was trying to do I hope he wasn't trying to be an actor because he's ugly. <laughs> well, let me let me put out a theory that I haven't read anywhere online, but I was thinking about during the whole movie. I was like, of all of these hardcore heavy miners, TG seems like the least quote unquote manly of the group. Uh-huh. At one point he has like a scarf tied around his neck, and I thought Maybe what they were trying to imply is that he went out to the West Coast to escape his very conservative, not-so-liberal town and try to make it in a big city where he might be more accepted. Is that a big stretch? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Was it just me? I I mean, I thought it was quite noticeable. His delivery, everything kind of about him was a little... I don't know. Uh, I mean, he has a girlfriend or a girlfriend that he left behind named Sarah. Uh, and Sarah, right. that's the thing that we hear about in the shower here is that he right. left. And since then, Axel has uh, taken Sarah. They're dating and that's pr- pretty much it, I guess, just kind of in the early throes of dating. And so when TJ comes back, he's kind of pissed. And there's a little <sighs> bit of this triangle, this kind of love story between the three of them. But it's it's really that silly. That whole, it was so convoluted. It mm. was so stupid and unnecessary. Like it was just unnecessary plot complications. Like nobody cares about this stupid love triangle yeah. <laughs> they 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 work it so hard they do 
But I think I'll argue that they did it for a reason, because later in the story, the two of them are forced to kind of be together to kind of help save the day. Okay, I appreciated that, that when they both realized that Sarah was in danger, they threw their differences aside (laughs) and they worked together to try to help their friends. But that was about it. Great, fine. I know, but I mean, it's so typical and cliched and, and like... There were scenes throughout the movie where, like, at first, you know, Axel, first of all, Axel's a very attractive man. He's very tall, masculine, very good looking, whereas TJ, I thought, was kind of ugly. Yeah. (laughs) Axel is, to to date, he is working hard. This man has tons of credits, not just acting, but directing. He was in Scanners before this, and now it seems like he's been doing a lot of work in animation. He was working on The Simpsons. Rugrats. Doing, like, behind-the-scenes production stuff or voicing? Uh, Directing many episodes. Wow, good for him. Yeah, and I think he kind of started out in The Simpsons, like, in the literal animation, like he was an in-betweener or something like that and kind of got into directing. So, yeah, he's he's still working. It's kind of cool. I liked the actor. In fact, like, I couldn't tell what the movie... I, I think that the movie wanted us to want Sarah to get back with TJ. Like, mm. you know, they're, they're like these star-crossed lovers who had hit a bump in the road, but now they're going to get back together. I liked Axel. I thought he was a cool guy. I thought uh, that you... she was kind of a dope for even... You know, this guy, TJ, they have this whole scene where, first of all, he abducts her from her job. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, oh, TJ. <laughs> I know. Uh, and, and he takes her to, like, their spot, which is this beautiful scenic spot near the sea. I don't know. The <laughs> water. It must be a lake. Yeah, maybe it's the sea. <laughs> They're in Nova Scotia. <laughs> right. We're not supposed to know that. Look, give me a chance. If you still want me to go away, I will. But I have to tell you that I love you and I want you back. I was supposed to know that, Jesse. I honestly didn't think you were ever coming back. You just left me here. And then he kisses her, and she's receptive to it. <laughs> and so, like, then it's the whole, lo- like, who is she going to pick? And, like, TJ even, like, throws it in Axel's face and, like, well, tries to force her to choose between them publicly. And she's like, you're a dick off (laughs) it's so clunky right because on the one hand she seems to be like you know tj don't do this but on the other hand she's perfectly willing to submit to his charms or whatever not really charms but you know his come-ons and his anger and whatever and and then even between axel and tj it's not even always clear where they stand or the intensity of how they feel about this you know they have these sort of casual conversations like well we got something we need to talk about don't we yeah i guess we do and then they have these like intense anger at each other for yeah. just uh he looked at her you know well and their friends even comment on it like you guys are gonna have to work this out and at some point tj is like i just don't know what to do i actually really like the guy but i you know like <laughs> we're in competition for this girl like it's so stupid in high school and juvenile it is but you know i suppose if you were in the throes of it it would be upsetting there's even one point it's right after the confrontation where after tj and sarah have kissed and they're all at this valentine's day party which we should probably get to pretty soon (laughs) but then all of a sudden axel's being really kind of aggressive and rough with her which i didn't like he was kind of a dick sometimes he was I i wouldn't say he was a great guy well, he was getting the short end of the stick. He had this girlfriend, and then the old boyfriend comes back, and she's being interested. Like, 
I'd be pissed too. There's this whole confrontation and she basically tells them that they're both dicks and to knock it off. And Axel goes outside and like, it was, I don't know if it's out of character, but I actually kind of appreciate it. Like he went outside, he's drunk, but he goes outside and he just sits down on a crate and cries like, mm. like <laughs> this big butch guy you know is crying about losing his girl and i actually felt sympathy for him i i wanted to give him a hug <laughs> <laughs> but you did want to hug tj i know yeah I, I didn't really feel for that guy either the the whole okay so the whole story is and i feel like it's fine that we're getting to it so late because it's so simple it is a lot of stuff happens but the story is simple yes they're throwing a valentine's day dance everybody's excited about it the kids are excited about it the town's excited about it the whole town is decorated they're decorating this dance hall but then the police officer has the talk with the lady who's in charge of the decorating committee Mabel. and she's like it's so exciting it's the first dance in 20 years and he's like well let's maybe not talk about that and then we get a flashback the reason that this is the first valentine's dance in 20 years is because 20 years ago they had a valentine's day dance as they had traditionally every year and everybody was super excited about it so excited about it that the people in the mine there were two supervisors and they were waiting for the last crew to come up and they were so excited about the dance that they just couldn't wait and so they left and they didn't check the methane levels and there was an explosion that trapped five miners in the mine they went through a rescue process but when they finally reached the men, I don't know, a week, two weeks later, something like that, only one of them had survived, and he had survived by eating the rest of them, and he was totally crazy. His name was Harry Morgan. So they institutionalized him, and he was institutionalized for a year, but then he was released, and he came back the next year to the Valentine's Day dance and killed those two supervisors and warned the town that if they ever threw a Valentine's Day dance again, he would come back and kill people. And so now they're throwing this Valentine's Day dance and all of a sudden <laughs> these, <laughs> these heart shaped boxes keep showing up. Randomly. I love this. And they, this is I, so great. It is. It's kitschy, and I really like it. You have to commit. You're making a Valentine's movie. You gotta have as much Valentine's stuff as possible. In it. It, it, and it's it's funny because it's consistent. Like it happens throughout the movie. Like people keep getting these boxes, and the the chief of police gets the first one, or the mayor. I think it's the mayor. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, gets it, and there's a human heart in it, presumably from that girl that we saw get killed in the opening scene, and this just keeps happening. Happening, and the mayor and the chief of police decide that they have to shut down the Valentine's Day dance. And before they do that, there are more kills. The sweet old oh, lady Mabel. gets killed. And uh, gosh, I don't want to rush through the kill scenes because they're great. Yeah, they're fantastic. The one where she gets killed, she's in a laundromat, I guess. That she owns, yeah. That she owns, and it's all decorated for Valentine's Day. By the way... Pretty overly decorated for a laundromat, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a little over top, but it's atmospheric. I like it. Yeah. And all of these boxes also come with a poem. <laughs> it rhymes. I, it's great. Rhymes. 
<laughs> I love. I'm making this up, but I love that they like had a poet on the writing team, and they wrote all these poems. <laughs> so they all come with a poem, and so like she reads her poem, and then she hears somebody, and like the miner is there, and he's always in his full miner regalia. I don't remember how he kills her. He he pickaxes most people when the police chief finds her. He, he finds the box or something and then he notices that like a lot of the valentine's day decorations are hanging upside down which is weird and he notices a weird smell and he's just looking around and then out of one of the dryers pops her body which looks like a dead body (laughs) that's been in an industrial dryer for hours like it's all burned and nasty like it's gross oh it looks so good her heart's been cut out and there in its place is a little heart-shaped valentine that he 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 pulls out and reads it happened once it happened twice cancel a dancer it'll happen thrice right right it's so silly i love it and also the other thing that i love is that these kids these 40 year old kids hang out at this bar with the creepiest (laughs) bartender ever in the whole world named happy who just recites like folklore poems at them in a really angry way well, he's the the gas, the gas station, station attendant. attendant. Yeah, it's, he's, the, he's the character of the gas station attendant in all these movies, who's warning those kids not to do it, but they do it anyway. This time of year, bad things coming. My words, you hear. Beware the fourteenth. If you value your life. But he's where we get the flashback from. And then again later, when the dance uh, is canceled, they're all back at the bar going, well, we've still got to do something. Like, we can't just have the dance canceled. Maybe we can throw a party instead. TJ's idea is to do it at the mine. His father's the owner of the mine. Forget about having a party at all tomorrow night. Or you'll be sorry. Hey, lighten up, huh? Piss on Harry Warden and that damn old legend. We're going to have ourselves a party. Don't you go telling nobody. Don't say I didn't warn you. Oh, my God. Comedy gold. So funny. (laughs) And so then he decides that he's going to teach those little buggers a lesson. And he goes out to the mine and breaks in and, like, sets up something to scare them. Like, he sets up, like, a minor dummy behind a door so that when you open the door, it pulls a rope, which causes the miner's pickaxe to, like, lunge at you. Like, it doesn't look dangerous, but it certainly would scare somebody. But then he tests it. 25 times. (laughs) (laughs) Cackling happily with himself after each open of the door. And then the last time he like starts to walk away cackling to himself and he's like, oh, hold on. I better check it one more time. (laughs) And then he goes back to check it and the actual miner is there and kills him. Another great kill shot where the pickaxe, the guy puts it up through the bar guy's chin and it comes out of his eye socket with the eyeball impaled on the end of it and it's all practical and it's grainy because it was originally cut but 
oh, it looks so good. Mm. I just thought it was great. I loved all these kills. I loved all the effects. Absolutely. If you want to know how many ways you can get penetrated with a kick axe, this movie has your answer. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Then they all, you know, all the kids and loads of extras, probably from the town, suddenly pile into the, the rec room of the of the mine. Yeah, and they're all bringing their food and stuff. And for once, we see an actual thrown together party as opposed to, say, Night of the Demons, where the holiday party's being thrown supposedly makeshift in this little room and they've brought decorations and put them up right. and stuff. I was actually surprised that we didn't see, you know, Valentine's hearts and things hanging everywhere. Right. No, no, I've been to this party. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> where you show up in some band, you know, like just some like <laughs> conference room and you just sit and drink. Like I've been to that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my favorite part, there are so many good parts. One of my favorite parts of this movie is there's this one guy he's this cute guy he doesn't have any part other than this part but yeah he comes like, and goes he he's like a- apparently he's shaved and that impresses one of his friends and he's like oh well i want to be fresh-faced for the ladies or something i don't even remember what he says but like they make a point out of the fact uh-huh. that he's fresh-faced and young and then he's like hold on a second i have the munchies and he goes into the back and there is an enormous pot of boiling Hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that's the food that they have at the party. An enormous pot of giant hot dogs that he's just standing over, and then the miner grabs him by the back of the neck and puts his face in the vat of the boiling hot dogs and drowns him in it. And I never in my life thought that I would see death by hot dog water. And it just, I was, it was so funny to me. It was especially funny, the follow-up, because later on in the party, we see two girls who are in there chatting, pulling hot dogs out. (laughs) Getting hot dogs. And I'm thinking, okay, what's the gag? What's the gag? And eyeball is the head in there. And she pulls out a heart. And it's all cooked. Yeah. yeah and she's like, ew, ew, gross. And they're like, oh, ha, ha. that must be something that uh, Howard, Howard, the goofy guy, would do. And the, the dude who says this is opening up the fridge to get a, a six-pack of beer. But his back is to the fridge, and he just absently reaches in to get it. And unbeknownst to all of them, but we can all see clearly, is the rest of his body, his whole corpse, is sitting there in the fridge uh-huh. perfectly lit and then the door shuts and i was like oh, that's a cool gag <laughs> i thought it was so funny yeah. the, the the boiling hot dog I, I i i couldn't get over that that's so funny my grandmother boiled hot dogs like i know who boils hot who dogs does right? that? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's a different time but <clears throat> that guy that you were talking about that opened the refrigerator the reason that he's there was because he was getting beer because he had been making out with this chick sylvia in a different part of the the mine like the the showers and and like the locker room outside the showers and everything was going great or whatever but she told him to go get some beer so he did while he was gone the miner terrorizes her i didn't really understand this setup but it looked cool nonetheless like apparently their gear that they wear in the mines like their suits that they wear are suspended on this big aerial system above the locker room Mm. and to release them they just have to pull a rope and then they fall down or whatever i I don't get it but it looked cool oh cinematically I, i was thinking at this moment if i were putting a haunted house together 
And I have done that. Yeah. Yeah. This would be one of the rooms where these, you know, she's kind of stumbling around and she's kind of confused and she's bumping into these clothes, which are going up and down, kind of swinging around. And then the miner grabs her, picks her up, runs into the shower where he has already turned on all of the hot water. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, is he just going to like scald her to death or something? I thought he's going to hang her up on a hook. But he takes her in there and impales her through the mouth, well, the back of the head and out the mouth on one of these pipes that is basically a shower head. There aren't proper right. shower heads. They're just sort right, of pipes. Right. That was a really disturbing scene. Uh, the way it was shot, it was kind of POV from him. So as soon as he picks her up, you're just seeing her face looking straight at you in the camera screaming. Very distressed. It was oh, good. Oh, God. Her acting was great. You know, by the way, this actress, even though she was had a very small role in this movie, her name is Helen Udi, and she has a ton of of acting credits. She has been in so many movies and so much television, including she was a regular of, she was, I guess, Myra Bing on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Now she's doing all low-budget horror movies. It's like for a year. Good for her. But uh, she was pretty, and, and God, that was incredibly good. And then the aftermath, which... You know, we get to see in the extended cut is uh, Johnny comes back in with his beer and he finds her and she's still there hanging and the water is coming out of her mouth. It's really good. Really good. That's another thing that I liked about the movie, too, is that he does find her and eventually somebody finds the body in the refrigerator, too. Yeah. So all of the kids, the remaining kids who are still at the party, freak out and leave. Like, yeah. I'm like, well, that's, that's an easy way to narrow it down. There had been a group of kids, I think about six of them, including Sarah, who had decided to go down into the mine just for shits and grins. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, right, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of get it. Like, they wanted to ride in the train car. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would take a ride in the train car. <laughs> I've done this. I've toured a mine and we sat in the train car and they took us down in there somewhere in Arizona, I think. That was fun. I was a kid. I remember that being cool. But we all had to wear hard hats. <laughs> and, you know, all these miners are just fine just taking these women down there. And they know they're not supposed to. TJ warns them. He's like, the, the, you know the rule. No women in the mine. But they, <laughs> I, they take them down there no, anyway. No, that's hilarious. The rule is no women in the mine. I think the rule should be no non-miners in the mine. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or maybe no drunk kids in the mine. Like, <laughs> And... They're led down there by Hollis, who's kind of this bigger guy. He's got a mustache and glasses on. He was my favorite. Oh, he was <laughs> he was fun. This guy also, dude, has a ton of work behind him, including a movie we've done. Do you remember Unno- of Unknown Origin about the crazy no. rat that runs around? <laughs> yes. He's the trap salesman. He's the guy who comes in and sells them those traps. Oh, that's so funny. I liked him. Oh, he yeah. Was, uh, the thing that I liked about him was this cast, it's not a cast full of models. Many right. of them are very attractive, but some of them are just normal looking people. And Hollis is one of those people who's very normal looking. However, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Everybody likes him. There's one point when TJ and Axel get in a fight and Hollis single-handedly breaks them up. Like, he he seems like the coolest of them. 
Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> he would be the one that I wouldn't. I, I would most want to be friends with. But anyway, they're down there and they're looking around, and I think we see that the miner is down there too, or at least there's suggestion. And one couple veers off from them, like they're going to make out and meet up with them later, or yeah. whatever. And that's the one kill scene that we don't see. We do see the aftermath. She of. says, "Hey, Hollis, we're going to meet you in ten minutes over at the main shaft." And I was like, "Yeah, ten I think- minutes." I think they're heading straight for the main shaft right now. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Ten minutes? Like, I mean, I, I guess know your strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> and who am I kidding? Ten minutes. That sounds about right. Anyway. It always seems longer than it is. Um, <laughs> like this movie. But they, we don't see them killed, but we see the aftermath of it later. They are both impaled with an enormous drill. And they filmed the scene. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was very elaborate with the miner drilling this thing into them while they were getting it on. Uh, it's unfortunate that it's lost. I would have loved to have seen it. But even the aftermath uh, is pretty gruesome. Yeah. And then they're all down there with the miner, and they get picked off one by one, pretty much. And TJ and Axel get down there, too. The only thing that frustrated me about this was that they keep finding each other and then intentionally splitting off from each other again. Yeah. So stupid. It always makes no sense. Right. But TJ and Axel, this is what I said earlier, they, they decide that they've got to band together and go down there because they're like, Sarah's down there. And it's like, yeah, you know, a whole bunch of your other friends are down there too. So, you know, but anyway, Sarah's down there. So we got to get down there. And they go into this elevator and I'm just marveling at how awesome the scenery is in these mm-hmm. these shots. It's great. And the music too is quite good. I don't know. The music was just was great. And uh, we've done a couple movies also. The musician Paul Zaza, uh, he did Prom Night before this. Mm-hmm. Ghost Keeper, which we just recently did and mm-hmm. talked about the music there. Curtains and Popcorn, as well as some non-horror movies like Porky's and A Christmas Story. You know, he worked huh. closely with Bob Clark. And, and a lot of the actually these Canadian productions around this this time, the music and the cast and the crew, you go even through some of these actors profiles and you'll see that they've worked on a lot of the same projects particularly around Mm -hmm. this time and since then so um, it's i guess a smaller circle or especially was back then when canada was really a place to to shoot movies and to some degree still is yeah i love the music in this movie i thought it was perfect honestly they put a lot of attention into it i mean they they had a plan they wanted every kill to have kind of its own musical motif and they wanted to have songs that they could put on a soundtrack that would potentially gain traction on the radio. But they ran out of money, so that never happened. They they threw some stuff together. Like, there's a cool kind of folky song over the end <laughs> credits. That was a nice surprise. I couldn't... <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of... I, I liked it. Once upon a time, on a sad in a place known as a legend began, every woman and man would always remember the time. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, they're all down there. They start getting picked off. Hollis gets a nail gun to the head twice. Yeah. And still stumbles around for a while and st- stumbles until he finds the rest of his group and they're all horrified. Peggy. Patty. Patty, is that her name? Yeah, the annoying lady. Like, she's just paralyzed with fear, but it's so obnoxious because she's just holding them all back. She eventually ends up getting pickaxed in the gut. Howard 
dies off screen, I think. This is when they are climbing up the ladder in the shaft. I think it was like a blink and you miss it kind of thing, and I did. What I know is that his body drops down right next to them in a noose, but then I guess the force of the drop causes his head to pop off. Yeah, it it doesn't make physical sense, but I think that was the idea, yeah. And at this point, it really just seems like the miner is kind of tormenting them. So we've still got TJ and Axel and Sarah. I think those are the only ones that are left. At one point, Axel tells them to go ahead. It sounds like he gets attacked behind them and they look back and they were on like this bridge over this water and they see bubbles coming up and they're, and TJ's like, there's nothing I can do for him. That's 60 feet deep. Like he's gone. So he's gone. They continue going forward and then TJ tells Sarah to go ahead and then we hear something happen to him like a cave-in or something and then he's gone and so then Sarah's by herself and she's getting chased by the miner And then TJ miraculously reappears, and there's the miner is following them, like right behind them. They can see him. TJ starts the the mine train going back up. They all jump on it, and TJ and the miner are fighting on the train. That's so cool. It was cool. I wish it had been a little cooler. Like it's so cool in theory, but (laughs) the fight choreography wasn't that great. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a Indiana Jones on the runaway mine car going through there, which is kind of what they were going for a little bit. You know, it's that classic climb across the train cars until you get to the end and you have to stand and fight, and then they fight a little bit, but they end up knocking each other off. Then they have to kind of finish their fight in the hallway where. Almost Star Wars style <laughs> when they're having the shootout uh, and then they have to go into the garbage dump. As TJ is fighting off the guy and Sarah's behind him, he's like, points to a passage and is like, go in there. It's the do not enter part of the mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then they have, they're backed in there and that's kind of where they have their final fight scene. And I thought that this fight scene was really cool because it was very claustrophobic it's in this cramped space but yeah also because it's the do not enter area we know it's dangerous mm. and as they're swinging the pickaxe and stuff around they're knocking supports down and knocking bricks and things away it's pretty intense i i thought for a lower budget movie it was it was effective anyway oh yeah it was fine and sarah helps out you know in the fight a little bit but what ends up happening is there's a cave-in and the miner gets pinned under the cave-in and so tj and sarah go out the police have all arrived at this point they're down there not before sarah had managed to rip the mask off of the miner uh, oh right right and we see that it's axel and we get you're like oh it's axel and of course immediately what goes to your head is why is it axel well because tj tj asks on screen why? <laughs> and then we're immediately answered with a flashback. It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid, but fine. You know, I guess I mean, we could have waited for the explanation later because we do get it again. But basically, Axel was a kid um, and his dad was one of the two supervisors, I guess, who yeah. were killed when um, Harry Warden had come back that year later and um, murdered them. And he saw it happen mm-hmm. quite gruesomely, yeah. I might add, right. while he was curled up under the bed. Blood splattered on his face and everything. So, uh, yeah. So he was mentally so he's just crazy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just, just crazy. He was just biding his time. You know? <laughs> this is the thing. Like, I thought that TJ, yeah, right. 
<laughs> I thought that TJ at one point might be the killer. I did Because too. of the way he was kind of disappearing and coming back, and he was a little weird. But then Axel, at one point, I thought he might be the killer too. So when the both of them ended up together with the girls, and they were each kind of disappearing for weird reasons, I had kind of impl- implicated one or the other. And then I thought it would be something, you know, cool. Like their motivation is, well, maybe it, it, about the girl. Maybe there's something a little bit more to this love triangle we don't really know yet. But no, he's just crazy. So Yeah, and, and I was really tipped off when Axel died off screen. Unceremoniously. Unceremoniously, and we didn't see, like, yeah. die off screen, that's one thing, but we don't even see the aftermath. Hmm, mm. suspicious. Um, so I was curious. There was actually a part of me that was hoping that it was just going to be straightforward, that it was just going to be that hairy whatever his name was mm, like, yeah me like too. he escaped from the mental institution and he's back and he's killing people and that's all there is to it but <laughs> i don't know it was a cute twist and and the cops come in they're trying to dig axel out and they they find his arm and his fingers are moving they're like he's alive and sarah runs back in and she's like i have to see him <laughs> and <laughs> like, what <laughs> right why um But, like, she reaches down like she's going to, like, caress his hand or whatever. And we see that under the rocks, he's sawing his arm off. (laughs) That's so hardcore. (laughs) I know. And he does. And then he jumps up and he's like, ha, ha, I got away. I'll be back. (laughs) With one arm. (laughs) Sarah, be my bloody valentine. (laughs) <laughs> and he like runs away down the shaft it, it was like all of a sudden he's just looney tunes <laughs> but it was really funny and that's just it like that's the end like he runs away down the shaft and that is the end and then the credits roll with that fun folk song that is very much tied to the events of the movie Oh. I liked it. I don't know. You know, I, honestly, even as far as slasher movies go, I don't think this one's great. Like, it, it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. It has some interesting elements. I did like the kills, and it was fun that it was, like, so Valentine's Day themed. Yes. But nothing, aside from the special effects that were mostly cut from the original release there wasn't anything that i was like oh man this is so good like it was fairly standard fare but it was it was fun anyway well for a paint by numbers kind of slasher like you know so many of these at this time were friday the 13th the burning we did intruder you know this one they're all kind of the same right they follow exactly that same formula that roger ebert filled out but i thought this one had enough of these interesting elements the mine yeah the town was a lot more authentic and real to me that's true than the locations are in most of these and then just the kitschiness the deliberate kitschiness of making this as valentinesy as possible and he's carving their hearts out and putting them in heart-shaped boxes to give to people i mean yeah that was kind of charming and then, like you said, with the uncut version, God, you got to see the uncut version. You can't watch the cut version. Yeah. It loses half no. of its entertainment value. The kills are great. And like you said, the the practical effects are a cut above, you know, many of them mm-hmm. uh, at this time. And so put all that together, and I can see why Paramount at the time thought this might be a, a bit of a hit yeah. for what it was, 
amongst this subgenre of films that they were aiming for. So it, for me, is going to stand out in this subgenre of films that we go through, early 80s, late 70s, of these slasher films that follow the same formula. At least the formula is slightly different here, and it's different enough and entertaining enough, and the movie's competently done enough, and in some cases, you know, just flat out beautiful and, and also disturbing. Yeah. That, uh, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's not a great movie on, you know, compared to the rest of cinema. But right. in that narrow area, it really stands out, and I'm so glad we watched it. Me too. And now I'm kind of curious to see the remake. Eh, it's just okay. well thank you again for listening to another episode if you enjoyed it please share it with a friend you can find us online twoguys.red40net.com you can also search for our facebook page shoot us a note there or drop us a message on twitter if you like this movie and you want to tell us about it please let us know and also if you have requests for films that you'd like us to do in the future until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys and a chainsaw